Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. All cleared up and ready to go for week two of Behind the Plate with Marin and Nate. I'm Nate Rohr. I'm feeling a whole lot better. Marin Angus Combs, you're feeling great too, huh? I'm feeling great. I felt so bad for you last <laughs> week. It was like, let's make our podcast debut and you're just, oh, you it, were feeling bad. Yeah. I mean, hey, you know, tournament season is a grind uh, for, for Northern programs. And of course, Nebraska resides in the North. So uh, obviously um, you ride along with it. And I think all the flying and uh, the weird start times and all the travel, I think it finally caught up to me last week. I am happy to report I am feeling better uh, and ready to talk some softball and ready to not repulse you, the viewer, at home. So re- really just the entire experience in place uh, this week. Speaking of which, entire experience, we were speaking with Howard's head softball court Coach Tori Tyson, former Husker, uh, gone on to great success as the head coach of the Bison, led him to the NCAA tournament uh, last year after a distinguished assistant coaching career. She's also uh, taken a head coaching job in the professional ranks. So uh, excited to talk with Tori and speak about her journey and check in on the Bison and everything else. And then we'll also chat with Husker shortstop Billy Andrews, and she's having another terrific year leading the Nebraska offense, the Gretna native, uh, hitting well over 350 with power, also a force in the middle of the Nebraska defense. So excited to chat with her and see where she is. And then, of course, we will end with so much power, the Big Ten power rankings uh, at the end of the program. But Marin, of course, this program uh, starts with a look at the Nebraska softball program. The Huskers go down to Wichita uh, last weekend, finish up two and two. They beat Missouri State twice. And, you know, maybe going into the weekend, I underestimated Missouri State. I frankly kind of forgot that they were a regional team last year. Uh, they were the Missouri Valley Conference tournament champion. They finished second in that league. Um, and, and, you know, lest I take them lightly the rest of the weekend, they end up upsetting Wichita State. So uh, two nice wins for Nebraska on that respect. But I think what catches my eye, the two losses to Wichita State, certainly Wichita is a great team. Uh, They're a team that right now I think you would favor to win the American Athletic Conference, uh, certainly get into regionals. Uh, But but those two games were great opportunities for Nebraska softball to kind of distinguish themselves from Wichita State when it comes to Selection Sunday. And we saw a Selection Sunday on the basketball side this last weekend. Uh, but when Selection Sunday comes for softball, unfortunately, I think these two losses are going to hurt Nebraska. I would agree with that. I I, I would use the word disappointing mm-hmm. that the first game, I know I sat down to watch it and I was really excited, but the pitching, 
in both of those Wichita State games was just all, all over the place. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was there was no control in either of those games, and it's hard to beat a team when you spot them a lead. Yeah, absolutely. And, and you know, especially that first game, uh, Sarah Harness walks six uh, in an inning in the third, and it's a Wichita State team that really doesn't need any help. You know, you're talking about Sidney McKinney and Addison Barnard, uh, who are two of the top offensive players in all of college softball, forget mid-major, conference, whatever. They're two of the best hitters in all of college softball. And and there are nice contributing parts after those two. So the last thing in the world you need to be doing uh, is giving them free passes. And yet, in an inning and a third, Sarah Harness walks six. Uh Courtney Wallace, uh, in her start against Wichita State, walks five. Kendall Mangle was, was kind of a revelation to me in terms of how she held the fort. You know, she wasn't spotless. That's a great Wichita State lineup. She was able to hold them, you know, somewhat in check. But the fact of the matter is that Wichita State is not a team you can give anything to. No. You know, let let alone 14 free passes in in 10 offensive innings that's just a recipe to to lose and lose big and and really nebraska got blown out that first there the second game and there were a lot of trouble in that first game so uh, i think it was a disappointing step back for this program especially after the arizona victory that that kind of resets your expectation uh that nebraska can go down to to arizona and win a game well wichita is not quite as good. They're good. They're right in that sort of weight class. But but you feel like Nebraska could have gotten one down there. And unfortunately, they didn't. I honestly felt like they were going to come back and win the first game. Mm-hmm. Uh, they were down what seemed like a, a mountain. 8-1. Eight, 8-1 right? one. Eight, eight, one. One through two innings. And as the game kept going along, I was like, oh, okay. I think they're going to, they may come back and tie this thing mm-hmm. up, which they had the opportunity to. Yes. But, but it ends on a line drive, a double up of on first base. And, yeah. it, and it, you know, that kind of takes, it takes the wind out of the, the sails. It takes, yeah, it ends the rally. And that kind of, to me, set the tone for the weekend because right. I felt like while, yes, they beat Missouri State in the next game, they come out against Wichita in the second matchup and with I mean it wasn't even close right yeah, it was another it, blowout yeah and, and this time they didn't fight their way back into it but you know talking about that first game I mean Nebraska as we said down eight one they put up a four spot in the third to get back into it um, they trade runs in the fourth and fifth innings and Wichita puts up a run uh, in the sixth to take a 10-6 lead to the seventh, Nebraska gets a two-run home run from Talia Tokheim, who's been a real revelation in this lineup, as she has plugged in from day one and hit, and hit a lot. And, and, and I think that's pretty rare for a freshman to do. Uh, and then Nebraska gets two on with one out ahead of Caitlin Neal. And I'm telling you, that ball was a rocket. Caitlin couldn't have hit it much harder. It was just right at the second baseman. And unfortunately, it triggered uh, a game-ending double play. And you feel, uh, and you're right, it did set the tone. It was kind of like, okay, momentum was moving in Nebraska's direction. And all of a sudden, Neil lines into that double play, ending that rally. 
and, and then game two was pretty similar, at least at the start to game one, in that Wichita was able to pick up, uh, build up a big lead, uh, and and this time Nebraska just didn't come back, and, and so uh, it's really the first disappointing weekend writ large for yeah. Nebraska softball. And hey, you know, tournament season is taxing. I mean, gosh, look at me last week. <laughs> but, <laughs> but but here's yes. the thing. You're going to yes. have ups and downs. And Nebraska's pitching staff for the first three weeks of this year carried this team. But, uh, you know, the, the, the pitching has struggled the last week and a half. And, and if this team is going to get done what it seeks to get done, it's going to have to improve, and it starts with throwing strikes, and and particularly in the case of Sarah Harnos. Absolutely, and that that's also something we talked with Coach Ravel about last week was that you know losing KK, mm-hmm. Kaylin Kenny, yep, hurts. Oh, sure, and it, it does. and it proved how and it that proved to be detrimental this weekend because. Oh, yeah. Harness obviously didn't have the control. Wallace struggled in her in her innings, and then you bring in Kendall, and we saw her once before her mm-hmm. before her game this weekend. We saw her pitch against Oklahoma State, and that that lineup does its thing and right. crushed her. Right. But she did a decent job this weekend. However, can three pitchers get you through? Uh, you know, I I think it's going to be a big challenge. Uh, you know, at part of part of what complicated Wichita State game one was the idea that, OK, Sarah Harness has been ineffective today. If you have Kaylin Kinney, you can say, OK, Kaylin, you go out there mm-hmm. and, and keep us in this game and hopefully we can come back for you. Or you can throw Courtney Wallace there. So either way, uh, you're in a position to where. You've got some options. Nebraska had no option when Sarah Harness was ineffective on Friday night. They 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 wanted to save Courtney Wallace for the game on Saturday. They didn't want to give Wichita State a look at her in a game that they trailed uh, by seven. So so the only decision was to go with with Kendall Mengel. And so uh, I think Kaylin Kinney, her status, her availability is going to be very important uh, in in the coming weeks. Of course, this week, it, it's the final weekend of invitational season. It's non-conference. Um, it, it's not necessarily as imperative that they have her this week. Um, but at the same time, as you look ahead to conference play, I think it's pretty important that Kaylin Kinney comes back for this team and of course, after an injury like that, you worry how effective is she going to be when she gets back? Yeah, but thank goodness it's her glove hand. Right. So thank goodness for that, because mm-hmm. if it was her pitching hand, that would be a question that nobody mm-hmm. would really have an answer to. But like you said, last week of invitational play, we're look, looking ahead, right? Fairfield, Kansas mm-hmm. City, Kansas, Tulsa. Right. Okay. That's a weekend that Nebraska should go 5-0. and up. It should be, you know, and, and no disrespect to, to any of the teams that Nebraska is playing. But but let's be very honest and say that the expectation is that Nebraska wins all five and especially moving into Big Ten play. If you're going to be the team that that you expected to be, 
that's a weekend where you need to show up and take care of business. And, and especially after losing both to Wichita state, I, it was going to be unrealistic for Nebraska to go undefeated last weekend. You sure would have taken it. You would have been over the moon happy if they did it. Uh, But at the same time, Nebraska needed to get one against Wichita state uh, and they were not able to do it. So that just reduces your margin for error for the rest of the season uh, to, to build up a resume first to get to regionals. And let's be clear. I don't think this team has done anything to take themselves out of that running, but you want to have margin for error. You want to be watching that selection show on Sunday with expectation instead of nervousness. Uh, of course, last year, Nebraska took care of that by by winning the Big Ten tournament. But even if they hadn't, even if they lose to Michigan, I, I think they're watching the selection show last year with the expectation of getting in. Uh, and that's how you want to be. So in order to do that, you need to stack a lot of chips, uh, especially this time of year with the Big Ten looking a little down, looking a little back from where they were last year, it's important to solidify your resume right now, which means going down to Lawrence, weather permitting, and that's a question, uh, going down to Lawrence and taking care of all five of those games. Yeah, and right now the conference only has one truly ranked team Mm -hmm. in the top 25, and that's Maryland. And ironically... Our first guest our first is guest very, very there. close uh, <laughs> to Maryland. And uh, our first guest is is, uh, is Tori Tyson, the head coach of the Howard Bison. Of course, coaching out near the D.C. area and a former Husker pitcher and former Husker captain. And uh, after her career as a Cornhusker has gone on to great uh, accomplishment, first as an assistant coach, uh, Maryland, Cal State, Fullerton, among others. And now, as the head coach of the Howard Bison, we are pleased to be joined by Tori Tyson. Tori, welcome in. Glad to have you along with us. Hi. Oh my God. I love you both. Thank you for having me. Hey, great to have you along with us. Of course, last year, you guys make the NCAA regionals uh, as the champions uh, of your conference. What did that mean to the development of your program and the trajectory of what you're trying to build at Howard in terms uh, of, a, of a cornerstone of a milestone in that building process? Uh, it was everything. You know, like I speak about like my vision for the program very early and as I recruited these kids. And I mean, half the time, let's be honest, as coaches, when we do that, we really have no idea how it's going to pan out. Um, so you're just selling this dream and like, making people feel you're really convinced of it. Um, but it was right on our timeline. Um, I thought that we had just the perfect mix of the the freshman class I inherited with these like spicy freshmen that I brought in. Um, and they were very spicy and it was like the perfect storm. And um, everybody that stayed a part of the program from the beginning got to see it all kind of come together. Uh, just that I had written up, you know, um, minus the COVID year and um, us having to take a break. Uh, it was everything. And last year was my first full year with Howard. Um, so it also just kind of spoke to that and how special that was. Your first full year and you go and you win your conference championship and and playing in the tournament, being put on that national stage. And then the beginning of this year, your schedule has been <laughs> insane and like i i want to emphasize insane because it i 
there's no other way to describe it. <laughs> um, I it, it absolutely has been insane. I'm feeling all pieces of that insanity. Um, we are at any at any given point eight or nine out of our ten starters are freshmen or sophomores. Um, this this sophomore class is a special group, extremely talented. Um, and when we left regionals. We wanted more. We It took us about seven innings to get comfortable on that stage. We were in a position where our program did not travel post-COVID. We could not fly. So we didn't really get to play these teams that challenged our speed of play. And um, when we left, we, we challenged Mississippi State, and we really left like, man, we gave them, I think, six unearned in the first two innings. Um, we ended up losing 6-3 and battled. We out-hit them and, like, we left like, man, we want to be back on this stage. And when we come, we want to shock the world and we want to win one of these games. We want to win a game at the regionals. I don't want to go in there as the four seed and everybody expecting us to be run ruled. We're going to be the four seed, but I want to cause ruckus while we are there. I want people to have to throw their number one and bring them in. Um, and all of us did. And so when I made the schedule, your culture's got to be in a position where you know that they can lose without turning on each other, without it, the culture just completely shaking. And this is the first year I feel like we have that because all of them are welcoming that challenge. Um, and that we understand that right now, the only thing that's bruised is our ego. Um, but I am a coach that is into growth and development. And so we go get dubbed by Tennessee opening day only to go play UCLA um, and, and lose four nothing and challenge them till our very last out. Um, and I think that that's the testament to these freshmen and sophomores that I'm speaking of and the trajectory of our program. And we have, you know, we've had three winning records the last couple years and that was great and we needed it, but we are there. We want to win that is like going to turn that corner. Like one of those big wins mm -hmm. that now every time we're playing these power fives, we know because we have proven that we belong there. Chatting with Howard, head softball coach and former Husker Tory Tyson. And uh, you mentioned starting off with Tennessee and then you play UCLA later on in the year. And of course, you're a native of Southern California. Uh, you your club program, the Corona Angels program that uh, that your father uh, has coached in and, and that you've been so tightly connected to has sent a lot of players to that UCLA program. What did it mean for you to take a program? onto the field at Easton Stadium, first off, just playing, just being out there. And then second off, giving them a battle. Yeah. Um, to lead my HBCU into Easton Stadium is like a moment that I will never forget. Um, I was like a proud mom, like taking pictures from the vans. And like we had so many Howard fans in the line already and recorded them. And I'm like holding my holding my phone, watching the girls walk in because the gravity of that moment. I grew up going to that stadium as a kid, waiting for Lisa's autograph, you know, waiting for mm -hmm. Natasha's autograph. Heck, I was waiting for Angelica Sheldon. I have watched that program. Um, and just been a fan, you know, the home that I, that Sue built. And I am here walking my athletes in. Um, it was unreal. And, you know, and I'm a team full of minority athletes. And so for them to, Natasha's all of our hero, right? Mm -hmm. Like Natasha was the representation that we had coming up. And so to walk and lead them in there and UCLA was just phenomenal they let us do our bp on the field and our girls just felt like rock stars and um you know i i got emotional and the thing because i'm not into like 
downplaying stuff. So I'm like, you guys know this is a big deal. We are like the first HBCU that they have scheduled. This is a big deal. And I want us to embrace it and live in it and be where our feet are. But then when we start the game, we have a bigger duty to rep for some of the West Coast people. They've never seen HBCU teams play, right? Like Bethune-Cookman is the only one that regularly goes out there and Laura does a great job of that. So we also had a duty to show that HB, what HBCU softball is and our spirit and our energy and our culture, but that we can play. And I was so proud of them because they represented that so well. Mia threw amazing. Um, it was just great to watch. And um, after the game, the UCLA ops had autograph session and called a security guard over to like watch over our girls. So they just felt like rock stars and they don't get this every day. Um, again, just a moment that made me cry. Like once I came down from the high of all of it, um, just that whole experience, it, it was amazing. You've had kind of a, a, a incredible education as far as a coach. And of course we mentioned your father and, and the importance of, of his work as a club ball coach in Southern California. Of course, Rhonda Ravel, Lori Sipple, uh, Diane Miller being around them here in Lincoln. Uh, how, what did Coach Ravel and, and her staff teach you during your time in Lincoln uh, that you've carried on now uh, during your time with Howard? Oh, my goodness. Uh, Coach Ravel loved me when it hurt. I mean, and, and all of them, right? I was a pain in the butt, and I will admit that. And it's easy to love your best player, you know, the one that's putting up all the stats. It's harder to love that kid that you see potential in. Um, and they keep they keep proving you wrong, um, you know, for so many years. And she did that. And so just loving on people for who they are and who you would like them to become um, is something that Coach Reville did. She does not have to have this rapport with me. Um, I did not do enough in that program for her to have, like, fought as hard as she did um, to see me through. But she did and I that that's who they are as women and as leaders and now as a coach um she is just they all of them sound advice coach miller knows we're so understaffed here so she's gone as far as offering putting together hitting plans for me like mm -hmm. if i felt overwhelmed like coach sipple will answer your call and give you pitching a pitching webinar on demand and all of them it, it's to have such an open door policy at your alma mater, I understand that that's not the normal for everybody. Um, and so I get, I, I am so grateful. And Coach Ravel, there was a moment, and Nate, you remember this, when we went to regionals at Washington, um, and I watched her stand on something. You know, she refused to make us play at like one in the morning. Mm. That they, they were wanting us to play. And she told me, Heidi Folan and Julie, to like slide through the <laughs> On the tarp, in yeah. The and there's these pictures of us drenched. And I'm over here having a slip and slide party, but it was so much bigger, right? Like she was- She was making a point. Yes. And I mean, now I'm not going to say, listen, I'm not going to blame her for me ferociously fighting everything wrong. But I mean, to be empowered like that at that age, uh, it was everything. And I, I, I totally made the right choice in calling Lincoln, Nebraska home. Well, we were happy to have you here, and certainly we we track your progress uh, with great pride. Hey, Tori, thanks so much for joining us here today. Best of luck to Howard uh, in in the coming uh, weeks, and hopefully we see you on one of those 64 lines headed to regionals again this year. Good luck to you, Tori. Let's hope. Thank you, guys. You betcha.
former Husker and current head coach of the Howard Bison, Tori Tyson. And of course, uh, exciting to see her coaching career blossom to where she has taken a team to regionals. And she's become such an inspiration for so many student athletes that's of any age, right? You look at her, her social media and it almost everything blows up, but she's mm-hmm. just become one of the biggest voices in our game. And I, I text her all the time. I'm like, I'm so freaking proud of you. Like I just, she, she is a one of a kind human. And so when you, you get the good human plus the good coach, it just, it's a recipe for success. And we certainly track her progress with great pride back here in Nebraska. And we go from a former Husker to a current Husker Nebraska shortstop, Billy Andrews joining us here on behind the plate with Marin and Nate and Billy, of course, the junior shortstop from Gretna, Nebraska. And Billy, first off, halfway through the season, how you feeling? How much energy uh, is still in the tank for you as you come through this tough part of the schedule? Yeah, um, I'm feeling pretty good about our season. We've had some tough games that we've played, and I think that we've put up a good fight in a lot of those games. And I think that our team still has a lot of potential in what we can give. And I think we're just waiting to prove that to everyone I think um, the best part of the season is coming up and we're going to go out there and we're going to do something do do something crazy your your, your (laughs) computer's fired up too (laughs) (laughs) hey but no uh, I like looked at mine like oh no what happened So, so uh, good to hear your Macintosh is working. Uh, <laughs> conditions down at Wichita State, the uh, mist uh, might have might have sidelined my uh, Mac uh, laptop, but that's neither here nor there. Uh, it, it, it's been a tough schedule for this team. You guys have played, I believe, uh, eight games against ranked opposition. It's been a step up in terms of competition here uh, in the tournament season. What do you think you've learned in playing so many great teams, including a bunch in the top 10? Um, I think that what we've learned as a team is that we can go out there and compete and we can go out there and beat good teams. I think um, in the past couple seasons, like we haven't had this type of competition, so we didn't really know our potential um, going into like postseason. And I think that playing these good teams really shows us that like we can, we are as good as them, and like we can go out there and we can beat good teams like that. The Arizona win in particular, you guys were able to go down to Hillenbrand Stadium and, and knock off the Wildcats. And of course, when you're talking college softball, Arizona softball stands out as one of the flagship programs uh, in in the country. And you were able to go into their home stadium. They're coming off a College World Series appearance. The stadium was full, surprisingly, with a number of Nebraska fans along with Arizona fans. What did that win mean to you? I think that meant a lot for our team. Um, we knew going in that they – like they had a big stadium and they had a lot of fans coming. I think before the game started, we were like, Oh, we think this game is sold out. And so we were all like really excited to go in there and do what we can do. And um, it was just really, it was a good feeling after the game. And like during the game, like we were going there and we were hitting a lot and we were scoring a lot of runs and our pitching and our defense was holding it down. And I think that that just, is a boost into the next part of the season, right? Like we Mm -hmm. have that confidence and we have the, 
the feel good. And I think that's just something that we can take into the next games that we have. And we can just move along with that and just like hold it in our back pocket, but like also embrace that. Like we did something really special when we went there and played them. The season is every season has its ebbs and flows, right? Your peaks Mm -hmm. and valleys, all the cliches, right? So how do you deal with coming off a high, like, Arizona, the Arizona weekend, and then going into Wichita and having those two games against the Shockers. Just how do you guys rebound from that? Um, I think we just learned from those games and keep moving forward. Um, there was a lot of things that happened in those games that we could have that we could have controlled and we could have done better with. So I think just learning from that and then moving forward. Um, we know that we're a good team and those two games aren't going to hold us back. So I think just taking those games as a lesson and just moving forward with what we've learned from the, from those games. Chatting with Nebraska shortstop, Billy Andrews, of course, Billy, you had a good freshman year for Nebraska ended up being a a really great debut year. And then last year you started tournament season red hot, had difficulty maintaining it through the Big Ten uh, schedule. And, of course, it, it's difficult uh, to keep hitting at the clip at which you were hitting <laughs> the first two months of last year. Uh, this year, you've gotten off to another solid start. How? What adjustments are you going to make to uh, be able to continue to produce at a solid level to where, uh, you know, conference season, you're able to continue to help this team out on, on the offensive side of your game? Um, I think just really studying like my film as well as the film of the pitchers that we're facing um, and just really focusing on what the pitcher is giving me and what I can attack as a hitter and kind of just taking it game by game and focusing on what I can do in that game, that at bat, that pitch, like what I can control and what I can do to produce for the team. Um, I think last year I got kind of, I got in my a slump and I think that kind of you know, I got kind of stressed about that, but I think this mm-hmm. year I really just want to focus on taking it just game by game, pitch by pitch. They always say slumps are like a warm bed, easy <laughs> to get into, hard to get out of, and and certainly a, a, a tough experience for you. Uh, you're playing with your sister, Brooke, and of mm-hmm. course, Brooke came into the Husker program a year before you did. Uh, what lessons were you able to take from her earlier experiences, and what does it mean to you uh, to go through your college career playing with your sister? Yeah, so like when I came in, uh, she kind of told me that it's not like high school, like it's not like club ball, it's just, it's a higher level of softball. Um, and there's going to be a lot more like ups and downs going through it. So I think that kind of prepared me for mentally for what it was going to be like um i think that's probably the biggest piece of like information that she gave me coming in and like playing with her is just something special i've played with her my whole life and um like we just have that kind of bond where like we can just play together and live together and just like kind of do everything together and it's just really nice because we've grown up together we know each other um it's easy for us and um, just playing with her for the last couple of years is something something special that I'm going to hold on to forever. Um, she's my sister, and we get – or like right now we're playing side by side, and that's something that I couldn't – nothing better that I could ask for. I love playing next to her. I love playing with her. Um, it's – I feel very special that I get to play college ball with her. You actually kind of went towards the question I was going to ask you next because you mentioned playing side by side. So mm-hmm. – um, 
is there like a sister telepathy thing that you guys have where you don't really have to talk to each other? You just know like wh where the other's going to be at a certain time. Yes. And I think people make fun of us because of it, because like at practice, we're like making plays. You're like, how did you do that? And it's like, we just know, like, I know what she's going to do. She knows what I'm going to do. Um, it's just, it's easy to work with. And we, I think in a way we have some type of connection. <laughs> Hey, that connection has to help as this uh, uh, this infield, which we thought would look very similar uh, to last year's, has taken on a different different look. Sydney Gray has been out uh, the last couple of weeks with a hand injury. You have a new second baseman next to you, and Caitlin Canada. Uh, how much is it? How, how much has that connection really helped smooth <clears throat> things over to where? injuries and absences and graduations that might have really changed the dynamic of that infield really haven't um i think just as a team as a whole we all have connections um so like when sid was at third like me and sid work really well together and we kind of um like just through a lot of communication and helping out kate like kate kind of came in pretty smoothly um she came in with a lot of like confidence and excitement at second base so that kind of helped with her transition in and I think we all just connect really nicely and easily together and we work really well together um so I think the transition from last year to this year has been not easy like not easy but like easier than we had expected it um but I think that we all like as a whole, like as a team, we all work really well together and like any transition that we need to go through, I think that we can, we can handle it and we can do it with ease. Finally, Billy, we'll get you out on this. Of course, as we mentioned, we're the home stretch of uh, tournament season, the final non-conference invitational of the year coming up in Lawrence. Uh, last year, you guys went through tournament season reasonably successfully, but but didn't really stand out. It was conference play where you guys were able to make a, a real turn and turn the corner. Uh, what were you able to do last year to step up your level of play against presumably a, a tougher part of your schedule? And, and is that something you'll be able to replicate this year? Um, yeah, uh, we... I think the key for us was we leaned into each other. Um, like we leaned on our teammates, we leaned on our coaches and we kind of just did it for each other. We didn't do it for anyone else. It was just us as a team going out there and having fun and just focusing on what we can control in the game and what we can do and just going out there and just having fun for one another and trying to perform for your teammate and try to get this hit for your teammate or get this strikeout for your teammate or like make this play for your pitcher. And I think that's the focus that kind of helped us with our success last year and what we need again this year. And I think we have that just keep continuing that team first mentality type thing that we talk about all the time and just continuing that while when, when we go into big 10 season. Well, Billy, certainly a lot of success in the books last year and even through the first half of this season and hoping uh, that again carries through to a successful run through the Big Ten Conference. Billy, thanks so much for making some time for us this morning. Uh, good luck to you uh, this weekend and the rest of the year. Thank you. Oscar shortstop Billy Andrews, of course, critical to Nebraska's uh, success and uh, a big part of her game, her aggressiveness, especially at the plate, 
four leadoff home runs this year, a, a really big spark to this Nebraska offense. Yeah, she is a different type of leadoff hitter. <clears throat> and that's something that Coach Ravella talked about in her preseason press conference was just how many tools Billy has. And one of those that sets her apart is her power game. Right. She has nine home runs so far this season. She leads the conference. She's top five in the NCAA. That's a that's just a different type of hitter, because normally when you get your leadoff hitter, you're thinking speed and small ball. And she's the opposite. She can do it. Right. She's got some decent speed. I, I, I would I would push back against opposite. Because yes, yeah, she does have the speed a- aspect. She can bunt. Mm-hmm. She can she can get a, a leadoff single. Uh, we've not seen it yet in the season, but she's a good base stealer. She's mm-hmm. not displayed that part of the game uh, due to a hamstring injury, uh, though. I expect we will see that more as it comes along. So she has all the speed aspects that your normal leadoff hitter has. But as you mentioned, she also brings to the table the power aspect of the game to where if a pitcher is thinking, well, I, I'm just not going to walk her. I, I just I, I have to come after her. So I'm not starting this inning in a hole. She can hit the thing over the fence and you're down one nothing, and that's a really big hole. So she she's just a, a, a versatile offensive force for this team. Right. And as I'm I'm looking at her stats, just to have them in front of me, 20 RBIs mm-hmm. as a leadoff hitter with 20 RBIs. That's A, great for her. She's doing her job. But B, that's kudos to the bottom half of the lineup. Yeah. Because they're getting on base for her to drive in, which is why coach Ravel has her in that spot. She's able to drive in runs when she needs to, and she's able to get things going. And, and the bottom of the order, you know, the production bottom half of the order has been a little hit or miss this year. And, and that just naturally, some of that naturally comes with the territory. I mean, you're not going to put mm-hmm. your better hitters down there, but I mean, Caitlin Canada for a bottom half of the order type hitter has had a terrific year. Talia Tokheim's really asserted herself as somebody who who is going to be about as dangerous a six hitter, seven hitter, mm-hmm. seven, eight hitter uh, as you're going to find. And, and you still hope that Abby Squire can turn things around at the plate. I mean, she's she's put that sort of year on the books. Uh, she's not done it yet this year, uh, but but she's somebody that I think could turn it around, especially in Big Ten play. And so that's setting the table for Billy to have all those opportunities. Right. And Tolkheim, oh my goodness. Oh my goodness. She started seven games. She's Mm -hmm. played in 10. She's got four home runs and 12 RBIs. That's the exceptional part. The fact that somebody can come in as a freshman and and be somebody that that looks like a line drive hitter. She's not that person Mm -hmm. that's just big and imposing up there. She looks like a line drive hitter. And yet she's hitting. She's not just hitting. She's hitting for power right out of the box for Nebraska. And so, uh, you know, between Tokheim and Caitlin Kaneda, my worry coming into this year was that this big freshman class would not have opportunities to contribute. And silly me, I mean, Kaneda plugged into the lineup right away. And and with the injury uh, to Sidney Gray, moving Brooke Andrews into the infield, opening up the outfield spot, Talia Tokheim's plugged into the lineup and, and, the last three weeks has been about as good a hitter as Nebraska has had and, and has really put herself uh, in a spot where she needs at bats as the year goes on. Yeah. And that's something as a coach, 
you have to be happy with because you want to be able to give your players opportunity and you want them to prove themselves when they're given these opportunities. And unfortunately, when you have someone go down hurt, if someone's performing at this peak level, Mm -hmm. they're going to keep riding the hot hand. Right. And, and, And it will bring up a problem when Sydney, a happy problem, mind you, when yes. Sydney Gray uh, is healthy, and I think this Husker uh, program and coaching staff expects that Gray will be healthy soon uh, to where she can return to the Husker lineup, whether it's this weekend in Lawrence or even the first weekend to conference play. Um, but it, it brings up the happy problem of how do we get everybody at bats that that we need to, and and so. When Gray returns, that's just an extra bat, and it it continues uh, to ask the entire lineup to be focused and locked in. That's sort of that competition aspect uh, that brings out your best performance and and make sure that you're totally locked in. All right, so we are down to the last week of non-conference play in the Big Ten. It's time to plug it in, the Big Ten power rankings. And uh, Marin, I'll let you go first with uh, the top part of your uh, rankings as we uh, prepare for the final pace lap before Big Ten play. What do you right? see at the top of the conference? Well, after last weekend. <laughs> yes. <laughs> because what we saw, well, we talked about it on our on our episode, but I moved around those top three, right? I moved mm-hmm. them around to where it was Nebraska, Maryland, Northwestern. And I gave Nebraska all of the all the respect that they deserved. However, they let me down. Mm, okay. They let me down this week. Uh, so Maryland had a great weekend. They did. Maryland is going to move right back into that number one spot. And, you know, Minnesota had a good weekend. They had a really good weekend at the uh, at the Viking ship in downtown uh, Minneapolis. That's so cool. That that was cool. It, and I'll tell you, I I hope Nebraska plays in that tournament down the road because, uh, you know, it's one thing to play in the Uni Dome. It, it's unique, mm-hmm. but it's a little odd. But the idea of playing in an NFL stadium, and especially in downtown Minneapolis, I mean, due respect to Cedar Falls, but. <laughs> Downtown Minneapolis is a little better than down than uh, the the fringe of Cedar Falls, Iowa. Uh, but that location, that stadium, I think it'd be a lot of fun for Nebraska to go up there. So I, I'm hopeful oh, yeah. the Huskers play up there. Uh, but yeah, a good weekend for Minnesota. So uh, your top three, you've got Maryland back at one. Maryland correct? back at one, and. I'm I'm going to move Nebraska to two. Mm-hmm. I'm going to keep them there. And then I'm going to keep Northwestern at three and Minnesota at four. Okay. Uh, my top four, uh, top two stay the same. Northwestern had the week off. Yeah. Uh, so they've only played 16 games. And I mean, Nebraska's played 24. Maryland's played 23. Illinois has played 23. It's a little interesting to me how they go about scheduling. Mm-hmm. I'm going to keep Northwestern at number one. Um, you are I, high on these Wildcats. I, I'm high on them, and it's maybe it's just my preseason prejudices okay. and, and the expectation of what they're going to do in the Big Ten. I mean, let, let's be clear that, you know, you, we've talked quite a bit about Maryland, and they're in your top spot. I feel like they've 
done the most mm-hmm. of, of anybody in the Big Ten. And, and when you do a power rankings like this, it's a discussion of who has done the most versus who do you think is the best. And those are those are occasionally mutually exclusive, aren't mm-hmm. they? Uh, yeah. And, and so at this time, I think Northwestern is still the best team. But I've got Maryland lurking there at number two. Uh, with the idea that they've been pretty accomplished to this point in the year. They've got a lot of talent. Uh, they've done a nice job of rebuilding that program. And, and, you know, Northwestern, maybe I'm giving them some benefit just from the fact that they didn't play and they didn't screw up last weekend. <laughs> uh, you, you know, that, that's kind of a harsh way of putting it, but yeah. it, they, they did nothing for me to drop them from that top spot. Okay. So I'll keep them at one. But but I've got I've got the dump I've got the finger floating over the dump button on them uh, if they falter over the next few weeks. Maryland two, I'm going to bump Illinois up to three. Okay. Uh, I they're kind of that that balance of plenty of talent and they've done quite a bit. Regional team last year. I I feel like they they deserve a little bump. They were four and one last weekend. Uh, and then I'll slot the Huskers at fourth. Like I said, I, I was a little disappointed that they weren't able to get a game at Wichita. Um, understand there's no, there, there, there's a pretty little gap between three and four. Uh, it can be, that can change in a hurry depending on the results this weekend or the first of conference play. Um, Huskers though at four right now for me. Okay. All right, so we, we've got kind of the top part where go take it from there. All right, so now we're looking, where are we, five, six, seven? Yes. Okay, five, six, seven. So this last week I had, it looked more Minnesota, Rutgers, Iowa. Mm-hmm. Okay, um, let's move Wisconsin right up in there because yeah. their weekend in Austin, that was a not easy texas mm-hmm. state texas and alabama they had the toughest schedule this weekend of anybody in the big 100 percent. yep the toughest schedule they go in there they win they go three and two right they compete well with texas and they beat alabama i think i think that alabama win is on the short list of good wins by a big 10 team to this point in the year so yeah. um I, I bumped Wisconsin a little too. Uh, I, I'm keeping Ohio State at five, uh, three and one week for the Bucks. Uh, Wisconsin for me goes up a spot to six uh, because of that Alabama win. And maybe I'm shorting them a little bit, but I, I just didn't feel like there was an. I, I, I felt like Ohio State was good enough for me to kind of keep them right where I had them at five. And then Penn State and Minnesota are my seven and eight. You know, Penn State an undefeated weekend last weekend. Yes, against kind of kind of a weak schedule. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, I've been high on the Nittany Lions from the beginning of the year. Uh, of the teams that didn't make regionals last year, they and not Maryland were, were kind of my pick. And, and you can dock me all the points you want for not buying into Maryland. Uh, a little sooner, but I, I really like Penn state's pitching staff. And I think they've got enough in that lineup uh, to where they can, to where they can play themselves uh, into a regional. So uh, in my power rankings, I bumped them uh, a spot to seven and then Minnesota at eight. And I think you're exactly right in that they had a great weekend, you know, a five and O weekend at the Viking ship. Mm -hmm. They had 
a, a crowd of, I think, 1,300 for one of those games. I think it was the Idaho State game on Saturday. Uh, and, and there aren't many places in the country, good weather, bad weather, inside, outside, that you're drawing over 1,000 people for a non-conference game. So kudos to the folks in Minnesota. And, and the Gophs took care of business. And, and so uh, there's, there's reason to believe that Minnesota uh, is in that upper half of the Big Ten, I've got them just out of it at eight. Uh, but but that's a stock that I might I might put some money in if if Big Ten teams were stocks. Right. And so now now in this area for me, mm-hmm. I'm looking at Iowa, Penn State, mm-hmm. um, Ohio State. I'm not sold on Ohio State yet, like you are. Okay. Um, I just I feel like I need to see a little bit more. Um, and I think this past weekend we saw what Rutgers was really made of mm-hmm. because as we talked last week, Rutgers hadn't played anybody up until this weekend right? and not to knock any of their competition, but this weekend they had Louisiana, Florida, and Mercer. They split with Mercer. Yep. They lose both games to the raging Cajuns and they got run ruled by Florida. And that's a Florida team that has been struggling. So relative to who they are, relative to who they are. Exactly. Right. So I think that was our, our first glance at Rutgers and, and how we can see them long-term. Yeah. And I just don't see them being a top half big 10 team. I, I, I would agree with that assessment. I mean, they, uh, I had them uh, 11 last week. The, the record looked good, but as you said, they had played a, Uh, an easy schedule and let's not get on them too much for playing an easy schedule you know yeah uh, uh, programs can be at different places in their development and sometimes you need to build confidence this time of year so you can be more competitive uh in big 10 play uh so i i can totally get behind rutgers sitting toward the bottom half of the big 10 conference as i look at it uh, I had Michigan at nine. I dropped them three spots, and that's probably a little unfair because they didn't play. They played one game, but also, what have they done to this point? They're eleven and ten, right? and and there are significant questions about their roster. They lost big off their pitching staff. They lost decent amount of their lineup as well, and, and it, the the assumption coming into most years in Big Ten softball is okay. How's Michigan? Exactly, and, and you start from there, but unfortunately, with the changeover in roster, with the new head coach and Carol uh, Carol Hutchins retiring, and Bonnie Thal taking over, there's a ton of pride in that minute, uh, in that Michigan program. But are they going to be able to go out and win? I don't know. I, I I've got them slotted ninth. I bumped Indiana up to ten. They had a, a good weekend against weak competition. Yeah. really, uh, five and zero. Oh. And, and frankly, I think they've kind of underperformed their their roster, and maybe they're starting to turn a corner uh, to where they they can be a tough out in the Big Ten. Uh, Rutgers, I had eleven last week. I'll keep them there, mm-hmm. uh, and then Purdue at twelve. They lost both their games. I think they had some weather. Shockingly, they had weather right. issues out in Fullerton. I know Nebraska's philosophy is go south and west, including Southern California. Uh, so that you get your games in. Yeah, California and, has not been nice uh, to any program sure. trying to get games in so far this season. Um, 
I don't know. Mother Nature said that's the let there be rain. So <laughs> I mean, and they need it, but right. it just complicates getting softball in. Uh, so produce my 12. All right. Round it out. Round it out. See, I <laughs> Michigan State still hanging out there at 14. I, I hate to say <laughs> it, but it might be a while uh, before old Sparty climbs out of the cellar. And, and let's be clear. Sharonda McDonald's a good hire for them. Um, I don't know geographically if she's the best fit, but she's somebody uh, who has some credibility, has some ties to the South. I think she can build a little bit there, but I, you know, unfortunately that's Michigan state program. That's kind of been in disrepair for a long, long time. Uh, and that's, that's an arduous task to turn that thing around. I've got Iowa at 13 and maybe I'm being a little harsh. Maybe it's my scarlet and cream bias. You're being harsh. You're being very harsh. Okay. They're 15 and nine. They go three and two last week. I'm they've got a couple of hitters. And of course, lacquer being a great two way player for them uh, is, is a tough force, but I I'm just not sold on them being competitive in the big 10. you know, night in and night out, you know, maybe 13's a little low, but I'm, I'm just not, I'm just not with them right now. And I don't know that they've done enough to prove that they're better than Purdue or they're better than Rutgers or they're better than Indiana. So I've got them 13. I think we're both See, in agreement about I, MSU. We're in agreement about MSU, but I, I am high on Iowa. Maybe I'm a little too high on Iowa. Okay. I don't know, but hey. Then we average out perfectly. There, Yeah, exactly. So, but when I look at Iowa's schedule from over the weekend, Chattanooga, always in a running for their conference mm-hmm. title. Princeton has been to the tournament a couple yeah. of times, right? Princeton, we're, the Ivy League starts their season later. So they, yeah. Princeton's played less games, but that's, that doesn't matter. Smart kids. Smart kids. Yep. All right, Bucknell, they beat Bucknell. They lose to Lehigh. I am not upset about that loss to Lehigh mm. because that is a Lehigh team that went into the Rhodes House first game of the year and beat Alabama. That's true. That, that, that's a nice, that's a nice uh, trophy on their mantle that I had forgotten about. I'm still not high on it. <sighs> I'm, it's, this is, all right, Hawkeyes, if you turn it, ah. if you're tuning into this to listen, and see what we t- say about Iowa. Here, back me up on this. <laughs> yeah, tweet, tweet, Marin. Of course, of course, I have much love for the uh, for the Iowa athletics community. When Kirk Ferentz complained to the referees about me uh, on third downs at Memorial Stadium, so not that I care. Oh, oh, that's why you're care. That's why you're putting Iowa down no, in thirteen. No, no, that's the freshest thing. Believe me, I, I've got. I've got a 20-year history with those people. Okay. And, and, and it ain't good. All right. <laughs> All right. So there are our Big Ten power rankings. Discuss them, debate them, assess them. Uh, as we go into the final weekend of invitational play, and and uh, this is kind of the last pace lap. I, I think of it when you watch like a NASCAR race. And, okay. uh, you know, the schedules are a little easier this weekend. I think teams are trying to build up confidence and belief. Mm-hmm. Uh, you look at Nebraska's schedule this weekend, Fairfield, Kansas city, KU Tulsa talking about another Husker alum uh, in the head coaching ranks, Kiki Stokes O'Connor, the head coach of the Kansas city ruse. And it's Nebraska's first opportunity to face off with UMKC out of the summit league. 
and, and get an assessment of where Tori, uh, get an assessment of, of where uh, Kiki Stokes and her program are. I think she'll be successful down there I in the long too. term. I mean, being from Kansas City, uh, high energy coach, uh, somebody who knows the Kansas City uh, softball landscape well. Uh, she's been a part of successful programs, not just as a player, but you also look at her time at South Dakota State under Krista Wood. And those programs dominated the Summit League. I think Kiki's going to be successful before long in Kansas City. I just think this year's about turning the boat around, and unfortunately, it's been a little bumpy for him this year. Yeah, and you know she's assembled a really good staff around her, but they're like you said, five and seventeen losses to. Clemson, which uh, maybe yeah. as expected. Yeah. Um, however, there's a seven nothing loss to Creighton, mm-hmm. which stands out to me not just because not because they're from Omaha, but Creighton's been down. down Creighton's too. been pretty up and down this year. Uh, of course, Krista Wood, the for, the uh, uh, Kiki Stokes former head coach at at South Dakota State that she worked under, and course Krista's now at Creighton and we'll talk more about the Jays as this year goes on but but yeah that Creighton hasn't been beating a lot of people seven nothing no so just that that stands out to me they've got but they're they're just they're up and down they sure they split with Georgia State they they lose both to FIU just you know they've got yeah, it's just it's a it's it, it, it's a first year head yeah. coach resume that 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 I think, like I said, Nebraska, Nebraska goes into this weekend expecting uh, to win, I think, all five games as long as they get played. That might be the uh, the biggest foe of the weekend. The fact that the weather is supposed to be pretty inhospitable in Lawrence Friday and Saturday. But however it goes, hopefully. They get all played so that we have something to talk about next weekend here on Behind the Plate with Marin and Nate. One way or another, we'll survey the entire college softball landscape and especially the Huskers softball landscape and the Big Ten landscape and chat about it as we prepare for the first weekend of Big Ten play. That'll put a bow here on episode two of Behind the Plate with Marin and Nate. Make sure you're subscribing to us. Thanks for listening. A Huda Media Production.